Welcome to this week's episode of the Get Ready Podcast. I'm your co-host, Credit. Alongside me is Grant. Grant, we have a great show today. We have another guest coming on. We have a seasoned real estate investor who is a partner in Boiler Realty, which is also my real estate company. We've talked about real estate. It is Darren Wagner. He's here to join us. Grant, do you have anything you want to say? Any Anything to intro to him? Uh, well, first off, it's been a couple of weeks since we've done a podcast. I'm just, hey, welcome back, pal. I mean, it's been, it's fun. You know, we've had some things on our mind and we, we had to take a week off, but now we're here and uh, someone I'm very interested in uh, picking his brain a little bit as he's your, your other partner in the real estate world, somewhere where I'm aspiring to be. So I have some questions and you guys are just a little bit further along and uh, you know, whatever you tell me, maybe he has a different story and we'll, we'll see if they line up together. And uh, why don't you introduce him? All right. So again, as I said, Darren Wagner is my partner. I call him the managing partner of Boiler Realty. Uh, he does the main bulk of the work. I'm just there to his, uh, I'm, uh, his Robin to uh, his Batman. So Darren, welcome to the show. How about uh, real quick, Darren, introduce yourself and, and just give us a quick little intro about who you are as an investor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by day, I'm a full-time teacher. I teach uh, health and PE for, for middle school kids. So um, that uh, takes up most of my time during the day, but uh, I started uh, started investing. This is you know embarrassing. I'm uh, probably the, one of the first few guys I've told this. So I, I actually started investing um, pretty late in the game. Um, I graduated school at 22. I didn't really know what I was doing for a few years. And uh, me and my wife set up a Roth IRA when we were we were 25 years old. Waited three years. We're we're just slow at it. Barely put money in. But as teachers, we were making you know I came out of college making under 30,000 a year. My wife had more than $45,000 in debt coming out of school. So we were, we were really in a pretty horrible position. And uh, it, took, it took a while for me to actually start investing. And, you know, we were, you know, embarrassingly, we you know, found ourselves in credit card debt. Uh, by the time we were 25 years old, we were, we were about $16,000 in credit card debt. For people who were making about, you know, 30 at that time, about 35, just over 35000 a year per person. That's it's a tough hole to climb out of. And uh, I woke up, I, I really can't, you know, put a peg on the day, but I just woke up and realized, man, I, I got to be doing something different with my life, right? I, I'm, I'm paying these credit cards off. I'm putting myself in a bad position every month. So we huckered down and we uh, stopped using our credit cards, went straight debit all day long. And uh, we knocked out our credit card debt in under a year, which is pretty impressive for, you know, not making much money as teachers. Around that same time, we, uh, me and my wife both uh, finished our master's degrees. Um, which as teachers, that's directly related to your income. So our income went up a little bit and we started investing in like our 401k. We put a little bit money, more money into our Roth IRA, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, kind of investing to invest. And uh, right around that same time period, uh, back in 2015, I, I launched a clothing company that I, I guess it was in my mind, it was a get rich quick kind of thing. And I uh, put a lot of time and money into that. It went really well, but it wasn't really what I loved. I liked doing it, but it, you know, after working with kids all day long, the last thing I want to do is spend another six hours on social media and in, in the night and in the morning before work. And uh, slowly, once I got that company going, I, I slowly kind of just let it ride, let it ride. And then eventually, uh, this was actually just this, this last year, I finally said, I'm going to scrap that and hyper-focus into real estate, which I'll wrap back around here in a second, but I just wanted to hyper-focus into real estate. And, um, anyways, we, um, around that same time when we had we were running the company, I, uh, it, 
oddly enough, um, came across the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which everybody's going to say that that was your, your investing book, right? Like everybody listens to. And uh, I read the book and I was like, you know, what am I doing? I should buy a place back in the Midwest. I should buy a rental property. And uh, back in 2000, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, that's kind of what started me off in true investing. That's when I really started to hyper-focus into real estate. No, those are, that's a really, really good story and compelling to a lot of our listeners because everyone wants to say like, you know, you, you start to look at your credit card debt or you start to look at your situation and it almost feels overwhelming and like you can't do anything to overcome it. And you just said how you did it. You know, you did it on a, you know, $70,000 family income. You had a substantial amount of uh, debt. I, I can tell a very similar story. I woke up and I had $13,000 in debt and I didn't make nearly what I make now. And I was able to climb out of it. And um, I think those are very compelling stories and people need to hear those stories and it, it helps kind of drive the, the thought process that you guys, we all really can do this. It takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of discipline, but we can't. Yeah. You're the, in my opinion, you're the everyday man. Like, you know, you, you had a little bit of heartburn, you evened out. And the next thing you know, you're trying things, you started doing best. You didn't know much about it, but obviously it's like, you're in academia. Most, most academia places say learn by doing. Well, you, you put a couple grand in, had no idea what you're doing. And over time you started to learn, started a clothing company. You uh, ultimately let that go. And that's, that's, that's progress. And then you read some, you started reading a lot more books, investing, the investing vehicle that you chose was real estate. I mean, I think you're, you're what everyone aspires to be. Everyone just sometimes stops at a specific place. You're at least at the investing in real estate part. So it's, it's interesting to see you have your roller coaster and now be on the, the, the top version of it and continuing to grow like the S&P every year. Uh, absolutely, Grant. Very, much better said than I did. I, I want to ask you, Darren, you're a teacher. Uh, that's like a 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. job. <laughs> How do you have time to real estate invest? I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's funny that people say you know, time really, you know, your time is what you do with it, right? Like you, you can take your day, you can be the busiest person on earth, but if you're willing to set yourself a schedule, um, you can really put yourself in a great position. And, uh, that actually is, you know, looking at the clock right now, you know, it's, it's like 45 minutes till I go to bed. I'm probably the youngest person I know to like go to bed. I'm usually to bed <laughs> somewhere between like nine and nine thirty. you know? Uh, but on the same token, you know, I'm up between four thirty and usually five o'clock and I'm working out you know, in the mornings and while I'm starting my workout, I'm going through emails already, answering emails, um, listening to podcasts or books while I'm working out, you know, and th there's ways you can set yourself up for success. And I think, I think a lot of people just look at it and go, I don't have a lot of time. Do you have a lot of time? How much are you scrolling up and down on your social media account? Right. And I remember um, I was listening to your guys podcast uh, just a couple of days ago from two weeks ago. And uh, Grant brought up social media, um, you know, we always worry so much about what other people are thinking about us on social media. And at the end of the day, like none of that really matters. Right. Um, and that's, you know, think about all the TV shows you watch, all the sporting events you watch, all the time you spend on, on your phone scrolling through stuff. How much of that really matters to your overall success? How does that make you a better person? How does that make you happier? And really you could take a lot of that stuff out and I bet it doesn't affect your life too much. Right. It might for like the first day maybe, you know, cause we're kind of addicted or get addicted to those things. But after a week, after a few days, you don't need any of those things in your life. And I think setting yourself up for success, it's just time management. Yeah, couldn't agree more. When you look at our screen time, I can tell you, I got four hours a day on my cell phone. Now, some of that is work and uh, texting related, but I can tell you what, an hour of, a day, hour of the day minimum is Twitter. 
you know, I'm looking on, I'm reading dumb <laughs> shit. You know, don't get me wrong. A lot of good Bitcoin information on this. I, I consider it research, if you feel me. Um, but absolutely, the, the more we can limit our time or we can just focus our time. If you like to do those things, you just need to schedule around them. Like this podcast for Grant, like Darren, it's not easy for you guys to do. You guys have kids. We have other responsibilities. My wife's home. Like we have a lot of things going on, but we choose to make time for them. And that, that's just uh, more um, fodder that's, on your fire. Yeah. That's what makes us happy though. You know, like doing this, I always learn something every time I do it and I just, I'm like refining a skill. I'm doing something 10,000 times. Right. And it's just, yeah, no, I mean, I'm excited. Darren, I have a question for you. I mean, so like you used to have this clothing company and then it kind of got to a point where you're like, eh, and then you started doing real estate. Do you feel like you're still doing that 10 to five to 10 grind? Like you were say three years ago or four years ago. Or is it a different grind with real estate investing? Yes, that that's actually a, a good point you brought up. So that that's what uh, kind of started the transition for me I, with the company I w- was running. And I was doing some other stuff. I was selling on Amazon. Um, I was doing some other ad stuff on the side. And and I came across when I, I've always been like a research and like learning based person. Like if I'm going to do something, I want to know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to keep refining my skills. I'm going to learn, right? So I was reading a business book and it was talking about Ray Kroc and McDonald's and how McDonald's actually um, started, you know, they made a lot of their money through sandwiches, but really a lot of their wealth was built through, they used their sandwiches to purchase real estate and the sandwiches were paying for the real estate and that's where the value of the company shot up. And that's why if you look over time at McDonald's, you know, if you look at their, their cap is just skyrocketed, right? And that got me thinking, you know, is there something that real estate, I mean, you know, McDonald's are everywhere, right? Like, so I started doing a little bit of research and that's what led me into real estate and then learning, okay, real estate is a lot of front end work, right? And that's like with a lot of companies in general, but real estate specific, you do a lot of front end work and you do it the right way. On the other side of it, once you get through that, those first few hurdles, you don't have a whole lot of hurdles to go, right? It, it's just kind of a smooth sail race once, once you get yourself in a good position, but you've got to be willing to put in the time and the research to be able to be successful. And uh, that's exactly what I found out. Um, the first property I bought it, you know, I was an idiot. Um, the rents look good. The price looked good. I get into contract and I go, wait, what, what am I doing? What am I? So I was like, while I was in contract, I read four books while I was in contract, started listening to podcasts. And by the time I closed on the property, I had a plan. I didn't have a plan going in. I'm just, I'm going to buy this. This makes a lot of sense. It, it rents this much. It costs this much. I'm going to do it. Right. And I had the cash for it because I'd been saving and as soon as I got in contract, I, I realized, man, I really got to kind of hucker down here. And I found now um, there's a lot less time occurred because of all the front end stuff that I'd done, all the research I'd done. Like I know the process. I don't have to go research a market. I know our markets and I know immediately when I look on Zillow or my emails pop up, I know, okay, this house is going to rent for this much in this area and there's not a lot of time spent, but it wasn't like that at the beginning. It was, yeah, it was grind, 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 grind for probably two years before I really started to understand the process. Yeah. I want to jump in here and ask a couple questions. Uh, the first one being, um, actually not necessarily a question. It's a comment. Like you're, you're an entrepreneur essentially. And we've all seen the Mm -hmm. meme of the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. jumping off the cliff and building the plane on the way down. Um, the most, the, the, the worst thing for you wasn't to not do a deal. It was just to force yourself into a deal. And then well, now it's time to figure it out. You're in the game. You have skin in the game. And that's the best way to play is once you get into the game a little bit, you put a little money, you, you risk a little bit of it. Then it's like, all right, now I got to really figure this out because I'm in it. So, you know, walk us through real quick. Let's say you're teaching, telling Grant, give us like the quick, the, the couple 
um, I guess, how, how did you go about knocking this deal down? My first deal? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. How did you decide this was yeah. the one, put up the equity and learn everything in the yeah. process? Like, Yeah, know. yeah. So uh, me and my wife had been saving for a while. This this is post uh, $16,000 in credit card debt. Yeah. You know, we dug, dug ourselves out of a hole pretty well at that point. And uh, yeah, we were saving up some money and we knew we wanted to find a rental property close to one of our families. I'm originally from Wisconsin. My wife is from Indiana, Milwaukee, close to my parents, Indianapolis, close to her parents. Um, so we're, I literally, I looked the wrong way, right? I, I looked at price of homes and I'm like, Oh, price of homes here, price of homes here. And I was like, Oh, well, Milwaukee makes sense when I look at what the price of a home is versus what these are renting for. Um, so then though I did do, myself one favor and I went out and got a good real estate agent. Um, I'd called a few, I talked to a few and I took a guy who had experience owning rental properties and his wife had a few rental properties at the time. I thought, Oh, that's probably a good idea. You know, to have somebody who knows what they're doing hindsight, I probably should have known what I was doing first, but I think having, having somebody who knows what he was doing was huge. And uh, we, we looked at different areas in Milwaukee that were what call, are called fringe areas. So an area where the prices are still low, you're, you get good tenants, you don't get the best tenants, you don't get the best rents, but you're on a fringe area to a place that is up and coming, right? So it's not a true up and coming area yet, it's fringe to be up and coming. Um, so we brought that property for $40,000. Um, at the time when I bought it, um, the rents in, in that property were 600 on the top, is a duplex, 600 on the top, 600 on the bottom. So it was 1,200 in rents coming in for $40,000 property. Bought the property um, and immediately had some major plumbing issues, uh, cast, had the cast iron in the inside, um, in the plumbing, and it was $2,000 out of my pocket within the first two months of owning the property. Had some roof problems in the first summer of owning the property. So there's a lot of things that had come up, but luckily, I'd made a decision to buy a property um, that one had rents that covered what the cost of the property were going to be. And I had that strong real estate agent who got me into a good area, went and was able to take that property and uh, refinance it the summer I purchased it, bought it in April, refinance it in uh, July, and that property appraised for 120000 Wow. So, it's the power of real estate. And we talked a little bit about one of, it, one of our podcasts, but you did it exactly right. You bought an undervalued property. You put the time and the effort into it to, to make sure you got a good property. Um, and then you've made the necessary fixes. You did a conservative play. Still a little bit of a, I mean, still $40,000 purchase is still quite a bit of risk to take. Um, but there's ways to mitigate that risk, making sure you have the good rents to pay for it, uh, making sure you're in the right area so that you can get the correct appraisal. Um, and then ultimately it was a, it was a big win. Uh, Grant, what other questions would you have on top of that? So, so how does one, uh, who, how does one figure out what an up and coming area would be when you don't live in that state? Like for instance, I know you have family that live there, but you don't live there specifically. And I, I believe you have properties in other areas where you probably don't have family. How do you find that low income area? That's, you know, probably five years away from being just more middle-class, upper middle-class eventually, or, or whatever you're, you're, your factors are. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Actually in the, in that Milwaukee area, you know, we lived or my family lived, you know, about an hour from there. So it wasn't like we were, you know, close by. I'd honestly had never been in that area in my entire life um, when I purchased um, that property now. So back then I was um, you know, I was leaning heavily on looking at um, values of property nearby 
and then trusting my real estate agent. Now, when I do that in a property, when I'm going into a new market, for example, we're in uh, Jacksonville and Kansas City as well. Um, and we've heavily um, researched a couple other areas in a few other states. And it, st it starts with this layered process is one, you know, you want to have a city that's large enough to support rents, right? Like, I, I don't want a city that the population is getting smaller. I don't want a city that's, you know, under 50,000, 40,000, kind of depending on the area it's at, because I want there to be demand. I want there to be renters to rent. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we found that, then I want to look at in that market, what's the job, what are the jobs like? You know, Jacksonville has the most Fortune 500 companies in, in any city in Florida. Um, you don't really think, you know, you think Florida, what do you think? You know, you think Tampa, you think Miami, yeah. you don't think Jacksonville, but Jacksonville has more Fortune 500 companies. Um, and then once you, you start to really narrow down the market, so you start wide, you get a little bit more narrow, and then you look at the actual city. And in that city, you're looking not only at prices and rents, because that's an important thing to look at. So how much a property is going to cost you and how much you can rent it for. Uh, but then you want to be layering over the top. You can use Zillow and Trilio. And there's a few other um, resources out there that you can use too to look at crime. So you never want to be in an area with, with high crime. You want to be in an area that is lower priced with good rents, but is low on the crime side, right? Um, that's a big part of it. And then looking in that area and what is there in that area? You know, I think about different cities that I've lived in and how, how close are their restaurants? How close are there things to do? Right? Are you out in the middle of nowhere or do you have shopping nearby? Do you have, you know, an Amazon fulfillment store nearby? You know, do you have other things? Do you have jobs and stuff where these people can go work? You know, it, and that's kind of how I've layered that out. And as I'm looking at an area, you can see when you, you put up on your computer, you put up like three maps, you can see where the prices of different properties start to change, but the rents stay pretty high and crime is still very low, right? Like, you look at some really nice areas in some cities that you've probably lived yourself and you're like, yeah, that's a great neighborhood. It's cheaper, but it's a great neighborhood. Those are the kind of neighborhoods you want to be in. It's not your, your high price neighborhoods. Cause although the rents are high, you're not going to get a great return on your investment because of that. Really good points. I, it reminds me, Darren, when we first started looking and you got me into it and said, Hey, if you basically, you know, you didn't say this, but it was like, if you want to be my partner, start researching this stuff and you would grab, you know, the truly a crime map, you'd overlay that with like the Zillow rent maps. And then you would have another screen down at the bottom that was like home values. And you can basically, once you get really comfortable, you can start picking out pockets and you almost like see like when you're like moving Zillow, you'll be like 70 K 70 K 80 K 60 K 80 K 60 K 80 K 80 K 400,000 are like, Oh, that's the rich people in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like you can start to see like the neighborhoods and how they lay out. And then you map over the crime map and then it really gives you like these easy segments to start picking apart. And to be honest, like I I'm going to talk out of turn here, Darren, but we we've only had, I think one issue with a tenant and where we're very safe and we have a lot of good spots using the, those processes. So like put the overlay, the crime map, find good 1% rules. And for those of you who don't know the 1% rule, Darren, will you explain the 1% rule to our, our listeners? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the 1% rule is a kind of a old adage in, in rental properties where you want 1% of your rents um, versus the value of the property. So if you're, you know, your property is a hundred thousand and you want it to rent for a thousand, it's kind of the easy math behind it. And that usually not always, it depends on, really depends a lot on the state and how much taxes are. That's a big factor and how much insurance is. But usually when you can hit 1% in a property, you will cash flow on that property. All right. Next question for you. 
So what are your, you, you always got to have goals. What are your investing goals? Like what drives the boat? Like what's the map? You can't just get in your car and start driving. I mean, you can, but it's kind of weird, <laughs> yeah. but you gotta, you gotta get in your car and you're going somewhere. Investing's yeah. a vehicle. Where are we going? Yeah. My, my, my roadmap has changed a lot in the last probably eight years, right? I started from just wanting to get out of debt. You know, then when I started company back in 2015, I was like, I, I want to be a multimillionaire in, in a year, right? With, with, no realistic <laughs> expectations there. Right. And, and now I've, I've really gotten good at uh, being able to take what I want in life and look at how do I, how do I get there through investing and investing is both real estate investing. And I I'm doing some interesting things with my 401k and my 457, which is a um, government employee type account. Um, and right now kind of looking where I want to be at, which is simple, right? Like these things can change as, as life goes on. But right now, by the end of next school year, so for school year, that is 2000, so 2020, I guess, um, in May of 2022, um, so a year and a half, I want to be at $1,000 pure cash flow on my personal rentals. So that does not include any that I have um, in my LLC with, with Josh and Foyle Realty. So personal rentals, I'd like to have $1,000 in cash flow coming in from that. And then I want to have $200,000 in my 457 and Roth IRA. And then, you know, it'd be nice to sprinkle, sprinkle some, some in my 401k as well. But that's kind of the goal where I want to be at by the end of next school year. So are you on track? I'm pretty close. Um, nice. You know, yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty close to where I want to be at. Um, I think you know, the 457 for, for those people who don't know, 457 is a, it's like a 401k. It's for people who are involved in government and not all governments. So state employees, government employees, not all will have the option of having it as teachers. We do. Um, that's like a 401k, but you get no penalty when you withdraw it early. Oh. So typically your 401k, if you retire when you're 40, you have a 10% penalty. And, uh, this 457, there's no penalty. I didn't, I didn't learn about this until, uh, the beginning of 2018, I think it was. It's only been a couple of years, but since I learned about it, I, you know, I literally have been maxing that out every year um, because it allows the option of pulling it out early, which a 401k doesn't. Um, and then, yeah, on the rental side, I'm I'm pretty close. Um, Property-wise, we're sitting at a, about $700 in cash flow. Um, I'd like to have a, a little bit more in reserve set up. Um, just to, so if I want to step away or my, my wife wants to step away from work at the end of next school year, um, that we wouldn't be pressed for income at any time. So I have a little bit more of a nest egg there, but yeah, we're, we're looking as long as the market holds strong here and we can, we get through this, uh, Rony Rona here. Um, I think we'll be, uh, hopefully in a, in a strong position at the end of next school year. So a new, uh, a new president's about to be, and, you know, prior to this, there was a lot of, uh, we want free rent. Uh, have you had any of that yet of people not, people refusing to pay rent because they, they feel like they're entitled to something? Yeah, that's a great question. My father actually asked me that same question a couple of weeks ago. And we, we do have, there's one property. Um, it's a, it's a six unit. Um, in one of the units, there's a guy who's not paid, but he is, he honestly was a, he was an issue before COVID hit. Mm. Um, he's definitely using this as a crutch. Just made um, it more of what he is, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, mm. it is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm not to like blow my head up or gloat at all, but I try to be a high character person as much as possible. 
Um, so right now there's mortgage forbearance for loans out there. If your, if your loan is a Fannie Freddie loan, so if it's owned by the government, basically if you own your own home, right. Um, you fall under mortgage forbearance, but a lot of rental properties, you can get Fannie Freddie loans, which are government, we'll say government sponsored loans. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can get mortgage forbearance on as well. I've chosen not to in any property use the mortgage forbearance. Now I could in a number of properties, I could use it, could on this property, um, but I've chosen not to because I feel like I, I have right now the disposable income to be able to cover these, these rents. I feel like if I do that, I'm taking advantage um, of the system. Um, and like I said, it's, it is what it is. We have one non-paying tenant um, with, like I said, a number of units and there's one person who hasn't paid. So in, that for, that, it's pretty good. in that forbearance, you would still pay the interest though, right? You wouldn't pay it right now, but you would still collect interest on that, right? So it's really yes. not in your favor to go into forbearance at the end of the day because you're still paying 400, 600, I don't know what your number is, but. Yeah, so the forbearance is, it's, it depends mortgage company by mortgage company. That's the crazy part about this. They, they, they're advertising this and then every company can restructure however they want after the forbearance periods up. So you could do like a loan modification. So they change your loan. Um, So they change your terms, they change your length. They can throw it on at the end of the loan. And then there are some companies that are requiring a lump sum at the end of forbearance, which to me doesn't make sense. If you're forbearing, you know, doing forbearance, somebody's loan because they can't pay it six months. Now you owe all of it. Wait, what was the point of this? Right. Um, But you know, hindsight, you know, maybe, maybe we should have done forbearance on some of the properties have more cash on hand, but, the end of the day, I think high character people win, right? You make the right choices. You do what's right for society and for people. I think you're going to win out, right? Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's what this show's all about. I like it. Um, so, Darren, one more question for you. What's the most important real estate book you've read? So, the most important real estate book I have read would be uh, probably Loopholes of Real Estate, which which I just talking about character, right? That's a uh, loopholes of real estate. Sounds like it's not too high character. Oh, oh. Kind of fall back irony there, but no, uh, that book, uh, yeah, loopholes of real estate goes through real estate investing. And if you've ever thought about real estate investing, I highly encourage somebody to read that book or a similar tax based book on real estate. It will really help you understand why real estate is so important for long-term wealth generation and then legacy wealth. So how do I pass my wealth on to my, my family? And that book is fantastic for it as well. Yeah, I read that one and I wasn't expecting that answer. Uh, it is very interesting. It really kind of framed um, how to think about the loophole, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. The IRS wants to give people um, benefits, tax benefits who provide affordable housing and to provide jobs. That's what the IRS cares about. And that's what it kind of framework. Oh yeah, we do provide affordable housing. So I don't have a problem taking, taking those nice tax deductions at the end of the year. Um, I'll jump in real quick and I'll throw out one for the listeners. Um, that's a very good book. Uh, a lot of good information behind it. My favorite tactical book, if you're going to get into real estate investing, Grant, I know you're thinking about it and I'm sure we're going to help uh, walk you through the process eventually, but long distance real estate investing. That's what really kicked us off. Once I read that book, I was very comfortable going to Jacksonville, going to Kansas city and investing in properties, you know, kind of building the team, you know, calling, real estate agents, knowing how to vet them, calling property management companies, asking the questions, um, and just being able to then to learn to manage the manager. Um, that's what we do right now. It's, it's kind of crazy. You know, we just had a deal we're getting ready to finalize and it's going to be a, a great winner for us. But that long distance real estate investing has a lot of core principles. Plus it gives you a little bit of the nuance 
to be able to go out and do these, you know, out of market deals. Yeah, you're, I think you're right, Josh. That one was wide up there. That I, I had three books that I was just deciding between. It literally is a playbook. Like if you were to be on a sports team, your coach would hand you the plays. That is what that book is. You could take that book and you could go through it page by page, highlight some stuff, write down some notes, and you could be, as long as you're willing to do the work, you could be successful at real estate investing. It's a tremendous book. So we were going to, we have, you know, we, have, we do this book club and we're supposed to read zero to one, right? So this past couple of weeks, I've already read it. So I, I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad for the first time and I just finished it the other day. So I wanted to, it's, awesome. it's a great book. And that's probably where I'm at in my real estate investing career. I'm a lot further along in other areas, but this is where I'm at in real estate, just kind of the beginning, read some good books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has, he has a, a model and I'm not sure how your model is, but most of his model, he talked about McDonald's and all that and how they basically, it's like 95% of their, their land is, is, is franchisees. They own the land where the franchisee owns the McDonald's. Right. Um, but his model is to like kind of basically buy property and sell it to some degree or right? buy it, hold it for about seven years max. And then he gets, it, gets rid of it, but he's not really a hold and rent type of guy. Um, what would you recommend? I know you guys are holding rent, but do you also have the affinity to do what he does where you buy something at 40 grand and you know what you found out, you appraise it, it goes to 110, would you just sell it right away? Do you have an exit strategy necessarily or are you just accumulating as much land as possible? This is a question for both of you. Yeah, I, I like that question. That's a that's the fun part about real estate is there's a lot of different ways that you can, you can go about it, right? There's, um, in terms of my play and what I've done on almost every one of our properties so far, is we buy the property, rehab the property, get a renter in the property, and then we refinance the property with a cash out refinance and pull our cash back out. Great example of this is we just got the loan, the final loan sheet for a property we bought back in May. We literally got it today. Um, when we close that loan in about a week or so, we will have, we put $99,000 into the property. We will have all of that money back to us. So now we'll have a cash flowing property um, that came to us essentially free, right? You can look at it like that. There's a lot of time involved in time is money um, to, to kind of make the deal go through, but we, we will be having all of our cash back on that property. And it's been the same play with all of our properties. I did that with the first duplex that I bought. I did that with my first single family home in Wisconsin that we purchased. Um, but you can take that property and you could hold it for a couple of years and then turn and sell it. Um, I would like to do that with some of my properties down the road. Once, once now that I've refinanced them and now the loan starts to pay down, then I would turn to sell them. But there's some, and this is where that loophole real estate book comes in. Is there are some very creative strategies in real estate in how you can move your money from asset to asset because in real estate, it is, to, to my knowledge, it is the, it's the only asset class where you can profit X amount and you can roll it into a new investment paying zero taxes. As long so as you, that investment is higher than the money that you got paid out though, isn't that accurate? Um, it's based on, yeah, it's based on your gains like plus you want to- You're leveling up. Like, kind of, yeah. So you could do some really creative things. You could buy a property for 100,000, sell it for 500,000. And now you could turn around and buy that property. You have 500,000, let's say you could turn and buy another property that's worth with a loan, it could be worth 1.5 million, or you could buy that property in another property in cash for 500,000, turn around and get a mortgage cash out refi on that property. And now that cash out refi, because it is a loan, 
it is not taxed. So you can buy a property in cash, oh, okay. turn around and refinance all of your cash back out. You didn't have to pay taxes on the one up property because you met the qualifications for, uh, it's called 1031 exchange. There's, you know, it's a deep concept, but you could literally pull all your cash back out in a loan. And now you've got, you know, four or $500,000 cash coming back to you that you got tax free because it's a loan and it's not true sale of asset. So nice. What about you, Josh? Yeah. Similar thoughts. I really like, and I think Darren and I have talked about this, you know, in the future when our properties are near paid off and we decide that, Oh, well, Darren, we want to buy a vacation home in Hawaii or something. What do you think about refinancing a couple of properties? Um, they're still going to cash flow even after the, the refi and we get the cash out that we are going to pay a refi fee, but it's going to be much less than the taxes we would pay on it. Um, so we refi out the property It still cash flows. Um, we're, we're in it right now to build cash flow. The reason we want cash flow is, you know, we say that the simple answer is so our wives don't have to work, right? So they can do whatever they want to do, but it's so anything that we don't have to work. So we are in control. My wife and I don't own a house. We, you know, we joke, you know, when I'm at the bar, I'm like, I don't own, I don't own our house. I own other people's houses. And you see like Grant Cardone says stuff like that. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're looking at. And eventually when we have enough cash flow that, We'll pay for a mortgage on a home that we want, then that's when we'll consider like that's that's what my personal goals of the of you know Darren and I's ventures are. But like we have our we're here to build cash flow. We're here to build because that is essentially a ticket. It's like a it's like a free pass around the board. It's like oh I don't have to work. People are going to work for me. Then great. Then we can figure out to fi- how to fix Darren's golf swing at the nicest golf courses in the world. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the tailor on that, Josh. Yeah, the, what people look at in real estate, right, when they're looking for a purchase, that they look like, oh, look at what how home values have increased in X market in Salt Lake City over the last five years. Look how much home prices have gone up, right? That's just a small piece of the puzzle. You know, we're looking at cash flow, which is a completely another side of it. So we, we really are holding that asset, getting cash every single month. The value of that asset is growing month by month. But at that same exact time, we're paying down the, really, the tenant is paying down the loan on that property. So our spread, equity spread is getting larger and larger and larger every month because properties tend to appreciate depending on the market, but you know, two to 3%, sometimes more depending on the market year over year, some markets five, 10% a year, but then that loan is being paid down as well. Um, interesting thing that we're doing, um, our daughter was just born in May and we're going to be buying a property essentially for her, but that property will literally be her college fund. So we're going to pay down the loan while she's going through elementary school, middle school, high school. And then when she goes into college, we're going to refi that property, pull the cash out and use that for uh, her college fund. And now we still have that property. We still own that property. It's still cash flowing, but now we've paid for her college. And I think that's such a better plan than the 529 K's that they have out there. Like you are going to have way more control over this asset. You're going to have way more tax benefits over this asset um, very, very good plan. We've heard a lot of the real estate guys talk about that on their podcast. Neither Grant, of you, neither of you really answer, neither of you have an appetite for kind of the, the flipping of houses per se. I wouldn't even really call it flipping, but sure. You can, if that's the word you want to run with the idea of buying something for 50 and selling it for 90 in six months. And just like, literally you're out, you're out of the situation completely. took your 40 grand. I say I'll jump in and take that one. It's not a bad deal, right? Buying something for fifty, selling it for ninety. But the problem is, you got to take off thirty percent off the top. Yeah, right. And it's actually probably closer to forty. So there are opportunities to do that, and that's why I guess we didn't really answer it. I, my appetite 
is if we're going to do that, you build a completely separate model, right? So you have a completely separate business that does that and that's just what they do. And that's another way to generate income to then throw into these um, cash producing assets. Okay. Yeah, it is a completely different company because in the, the flipping side and that it's hard, right? Cause you, you see things and everything looks shiny in, in the jewelry store. Right. And you get in there and you're looking at, you looking at these properties when I'm evaluating properties for rent. I see, Oh man, this property, Holy cow, this thing is going for 80,000. It's an, it's an area where the properties are selling for 140. But then I look at the rents and it doesn't make sense. It's an easy play then to step over and say, okay, let's try flipping this property. The reason why I haven't, you know, made the jump and you know, it's definitely crossed my mind a lot is that it is a completely different business. You have to be very good with managing what is going into that property in terms of rehab, how quickly that rehab is turning. And you have to be really have to be willing to bite the bullet. If the property doesn't sell for the amount you want or as quickly as you want. So in my mind, when I decide to start doing that, it's also going to be a property that I could rent and hold for a year or two. And then sell, you know, in a short period of time, generally short period of time if I need to. Nice. So there's our thoughts. Great. Okay. <laughs> it's a little better answer for you. Um, I think in term, in time, flipping will be on the table. But right now, uh, cash, cash flow is much easier to do, in, in my opinion, to build a portfolio of cash flow. Basically. And the, the tax, the tax advantages are massive on that side as well. And like I said, people always look at the, the shiniest thing in the store and what's, you know, turning over wealth real quick, you know, so you want to sell some, you know, buy something high, sell or buy something low, sell it high, sorry. So they look at like, okay, I want to get, you know, this property cheap, sell it as quick as possible. But if you're trying to build long-term wealth, you know, having a property that is producing monthly cash flow that's also appreciating that you're also paying down the mortgage on sets you up in a much better place right if you could you could trade stocks you know you could hit some you know regularly but that's a lot of time right i would i would rather at some point you know be only buying stocks that are i'm going to hold just appreciate i'm not going to worry about selling them trading them you know i want to get some stocks that have strong dividends because i then i don't have to worry about buying selling i, I don't want to do the work as you know as often and although it's a lot of work thinking about managing tenants it really is less work in the long run because once you have planted the seed the plant will grow and the harvest is great nice very well said so darren we'll give you a last moment here for anything and then we'll transition to the second half of the pod yes another book investing uh set for life by scott trench great book um that's what kind of got me in the more of the best investing in 401k 457 and getting on that realm set for life great book really helps people understand expenses and where you want to be at for being truly financially free. And maybe some people don't want to be financially free. They'd rather work their whole life. Um, myself, yeah, I'd, ra I'd, rather, I'd rather be in a point where I can work if I want to, or if I don't want to, I don't have to. That book does a great job. And his whole kind of mindset behind that is just kind of suppressing what you want to buy today so that you can live a greater life later, I think is kind of the whole key behind that 
I like it. So you heard it there, listeners. Set for life, loopholes of real estate, long distance real estate investing. You got three great books to get you started on the real estate investing path. And then, Darren, if one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you and they wanted to send you some emails, would that be okay? And if so, what is your email address or what's your contact info where they could potentially reach out and say, hey, I'm interested in some real estate? Yeah, it would be, this would be really cliche if I could tell you like, hey guys, I've got, you hit me on this handle, hit me, yeah. I found uh, I might be the most boring person that you maybe have ever brought on here before. Um, I have no, Facebook. Horner I was never on use here. it. <laughs> I have Horner Facebook. Employee, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't use much social media at all. So, you know, the best way people, you could reach out to me, but I'm probably not going to see notification for maybe a month or two. Um, but uh, the best way people can reach out to me is definitely by, by my email, um, which is pretty corny. I feel like I might be. 45 or 50 years old saying by email. Um, but yeah, email me. Um, I've got a couple different emails, uh, V and D realty, uh, at gmail.com. That's uh, mine and my wife's uh, email address. Um, I've got a personal email, but you got to earn that. So V and D okay. realty. Can we stop using the other email and this <laughs> environment? I kind of trapped you there. Can we stop using that one? Can you get a new one? V and D that's good. I like that one. I'm in for that one. Yeah. I dig it. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Darren, I hope uh, I, I, that was a really great pod. Uh, good segment there. Grant, I hope you learned a few things.